1: Boy, friends. Thank you for tuning into Truth and Justice. You are listening to the Friday follow-up for Season 14, The Reply Brief. This week, we heard Jay Wiles' second official recorded interview in its entirety. I am Zach Weaver, and I am back from my assignment, and I'm joined by Bob Ruff. We are sans Janet this week, as she is out on assignment. But before we jump into this week's discussion and questions, do we have any
0: housekeeping? Just a little bit. We're, of course, missing Janet today, Janet is well. She doesn't have a voice. She she sent Zach and I a series of voice messages throughout the day, hoping to improve it. But her voice is gone, which is a rough thing to happen to a voice actor. You know,
1: honestly, it felt more like she was doing one of those like bad fake calls when you call in sick to work, and she's like, ah, 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 "I can't come to work. Ah,
0: ah, ah, I'm coughing." Yeah, well it was happening. it was that bad that it almost sounded like somebody pretending to have no voice. But she's feeling pretty rough, and she was she was trying like hell all day to get herself well enough to make it. And finally, a couple hours ago, I told her just take the rest of the night and drink some tea and honey and get that and uh, try to take care of that throat. So just me and Zach today. So hopefully this this will all go smoothly. Janet's the one that usually steers the ship. Uh, as far as any other housekeeping. Somebody had asked in the pre show about the new case. Any updates on that? No, no updates that I can give you, other than I can tell you that I have now made contact with the person in prison. They are ready to rock and roll, fully on board. We're making, I'm trying to make some connections so I can arrange an interview there. I've spoken with, of course, the person that originally submitted the case to Rabia, who then sent it to me. They're going to be bringing me the transcripts. I have a good portion of the case file that they already have, but I already in my initial review already realized there are definitely items in the case file that aren't there. So I've already fired off that open records request and already heard back with them asking for a 10 day extension. So 10 business day uh, or a total of 15 business days minus today. So 14 business days from today on Tuesday, I should have the full case file unless they end up fighting me on that. So we're making progress i'm super excited to get into this case with you guys but so just if you're doing the math that's a that's a couple of weeks before i'm going to get the case file and get the transcripts got to arrange interviews and then of course get you know fully read in and prepped and ready to roll so we're going to keep on trucking along with the reply brief and i think the timing is going to work out pretty pretty well we have we have episodes 11 12 and 13 i think is the final reply brief so that's three weeks of that I'm in the process of where it's very monotonous. It's taking me a long time, but at some point I do want to put out. Depending on where we're at time wise with the other case, I'm putting together an episode that goes through that first interview. As the prosecutor said, that you know, in their opinion, the most damning thing is not Jay's second interview; it's Jay and Jen's first interviews together because they're telling the same story. So I'm literally taking every element of that story and you can hear what jen said happened and then hear what jay said happened and then hear for the next piece what jen said happened what jay said happened so you can hear for yourself and make up your own mind how consistent those are and how damning those two interviews are so that's right, right with all of that stuff and with that being said uh, zach i think well I, first things first this is nice because it's not only the first time for you to hear this it's actually the first time for the entire audience to have heard yeah. this interview so what you what you think when you when you heard it out loud? The pauses were
1: way bigger than I expected. You know, I mean, I, you you hear it in the transcript, but do you hear those long drawn out pauses or even a few times where he starts to talk and then takes a long drawn out pause that seems as if there is more going on that he's not just concentrating and thinking about the story. There's a lot of that that, that struck me in there.
0: Yeah, and I understand that you know there, there's certainly people. I've already heard some of the some of the arguments from the Adnan is guilty crowd that this is reading tea leaves. Sounds perfectly normal to them. Blah blah blah. If you want to think that, that's okay. Everybody's allowed to think whatever they want. But for me, I'm trying to do an, an honest analysis of what I'm hearing. And those pauses are huge because you you can't read pauses in the interview. But when you when you when you hear it, that mm-hmm. you, you have to think what. And that's what I tr- sort of said in the intro. You've got to be thinking. What is happening in those pauses? Is he coming out, you know, when he comes out of the pause, is he like, uh, oh, oh, okay. Let me, like, he's thinking about something or are they, to me, what I hear are, he says something long pause, then says something completely different. And, And he comes in strong when he comes back in. So to me, it seems like he's either reading something, being shown something. And again, that's just. Opinion that just, I won't say so go as far as say it's a guess, but it's a theory. But I, I, I see no reason for the pauses to be there. They're not emotional moments. There's, not, uh, there's no reason for him to be pausing unless he's getting more information. And then, of course, we get some confirmation a lot of those times because after that pause, you hear, oh. Remember when we were reading the transcript? Yes. You see, oh, sorry, I missed something. Things like that. And that's indicating you when you say, oh, you're responding to something, some kind of stimulus in the room. Uh, do you have any theories on what those pauses meant theories on what the pauses meant? It definitely
1: feels like he is reading something, whether it's something provided to the police or whether it's his own statement that he's trying to go over. But it definitely feels like to me that there is th- that he's trying to go over something more than just mentally, because like, as you said, he doesn't just come back in and try to clarify. It's not that like, Oh, 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 let me, th- Oh yeah. Let me think about this. It's he pauses. And then immediately bursts out a fact as if he's just read it. And the other thing that I picked up that you couldn't really pick up in the transcript, you can kind of pick it up in the transcript, but you don't get it until you get the audio, is how many times the officers seem to interrupt to ask him a question that is a very like leading question. Yeah, there was multiple times in there. You can kind of see it in the transcript, but you don't really get the feel for it until you really hear them where he starts to go. Well, we were doing, and he goes, well, did he call you because he needed you to help him because he needed you to help with the body or help murder? Like there's multiple times like that, that I kind of picked up on that.
0: Yeah. And, and the thing to me is I've studied interrogation techniques. I've had classes on them when I was an arson investigator. I've got all the books, the read techniques, all that. And the big thing that anyone teaches you, any experienced detective is always going to do when they're trying to find the truth is to leave space and let people talk. And so that was a a big clue to me when I'm listening to this and they never let him, they never ever want him to expand on a thought. They either get the thing out of him that they wanted, or he's starting to say the wrong thing. They interrupt quickly. They don't let him go Mm -hmm. on. They're always interjecting. And that's just not, that's not a normal interview technique. So I know
1: that I'm not the only one I'm, I'm sure I'm not the only one that caught this, and I know a lot of people have talked about the spot where they actually stop him and go, you have two cars. Mm-hmm. But in that moment, th- he actually tells two stories, two different, completely different stories of the same thing after they say that. When he's starting to talk, he says, Adnan's driving me home, and he wants to stop at the Westview Mall to get rid of stuff. And then they say, Jay, you had two cars. And he goes, oh, yeah. Yeah. And then he, he goes through the, oh, top spots. I forgot, whatever. And then they say, who was driving? He said, oh, I was probably driving. And we went th- to the the Westview Mall. Like, he totally changed who was driving yeah. in this situation.
0: Yep, that was, I had that in my notes, too. It's, we were talking about in the pre-show a little bit. That's another one of those instances where he says, Adnan was driving, and then they correct him. He goes back, and then he get, when he gets back to that point in the story again, now he's driving. There's a lot of spots like that where, where if he tries to repeat it, he flips, and again, that's, it's just not how memories work when you're talking about experiences, because when, when you're thinking back, I can remember if I was sitting in the passenger seat or if I was driving, but he just gets those details wrong every single time.
1: Yeah, I noticed that a lot. So I think I, I think there's a lot of these questions we could get into that I could probably lead off of once we get going. All right, well, let's do that then. So first question, Allie says, I'm stuck on the hole hay was buried in. Was there actually even a hole dug there? There's been a lot of talk and importance placed on the shovels, digging a hole for 20 to 25 minutes, and that the hole was six inches deep, according to Jay. Does this description of everything even make sense based on how she
0: was found? No, I mean, it definitely wasn't six inches deep. There's been some discussion about this. I mean, there's, there's it's been said that there was no evidence that digging tools were used at all, that it was just a natural depression in the ground. I'm certainly no expert in that. I don't necessarily think that's the case, just from the ex- excavation of her, the photos of her disinterment. There's dirt packed all around her. I don't think that was just stuff shoved around her. I think there was a hole dug out of what it was already natural depression. But in Jay's first interview, the hole was, you know, what, two feet deep. And in this interview, now it's six inches deep. Uh, Yeah. I I don't know why that changes there.
1: And allie has got a follow-up question on that. She says, was Jay's grandma ever questioned about the missing
0: shovels from her house? No, no. uh, (laughs) No one who could verify any of this was ever questioned. Chris wasn't questioned. Nicole wasn't questioned. Jay's grandma wasn't questioned. You know, and, and any of the people that could have verified any bits of that, nobody from the track team was questioned. Nobody that ever could have verified any of this stuff was ever questioned.
1: So Laura has a couple questions about the trunk pop. I've always assumed everything Jen said was what Jay told her to say, but she said the trunk pop was at Best Buy. Then two days later, Jay said it was on Edmondson Avenue. In both of his interviews, then two weeks later, in his next set of interviews, he says Best Buy. If Jay told her what to say, why wasn't he consistent in
0: his own interview two days later? So, all we can do is speculate about this, but I'll give you my speculation. I just want to make clear that that's what this is. This is this is my speculation. As I've said many times before, I think that when Jen went into that interview, I, th- I think based on all the factors we've discussed in the past, including Jay's own words, he'd been being harassed and questioned about this for weeks leading up to this. And I think when that started, I don't think Ritz and McGillivary were letting him in on the fact that that they were willing to work with him. I think they just kept pressing him. That story doesn't make sense. That story doesn't make sense. And Jay's just trying. I think I think Jay's just trying to come up with a story. So I think Jay's got a million different versions of a story rolling around his head because every time he talks to him, he tries to give him something and none of it ever works out. And they just keep pressing him on it. And then when he he goes to Jen, when he talks, you know, Jen goes to the police, gives her an interview, says she doesn't know anything about this and know what they're t- talking about. And then that night her and Jay talk, and again, that's confirmed. Both of them agree and both of them say that's what happened. I think that night, Jay tells her, will tell him this, and he gives her a version of the story. So then when, when Jen goes into interview, she's telling them what Jay told her, but she's heard this story once. She heard it the night before. You know, and maybe Best Buy was somewhere, somewhere part of that story. So I think that one speculative possibility there is that Jen was just confused. She thought that it was Best Buy because, you know, somewhere in that one of Jay's narratives, that's where Best Buy was. So she told him what she thought. Well, then later that night, I modified it for, because I think it originally said two days later. It wasn't two days later. It was literally a couple hours later. They bring Jay in to be interviewed. And I don't think that they told Jay at that point what Jen had said. I don't think they had this long meeting. Well, Jen says this, 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 and this. I think they sat down and it's possible perhaps they even believed at this point. Now that Jen's told them this, you know, that they, they may have still believed Adnan was guilty and they may have believed that what Jay was telling them was the truth or at least trying to believe. So then Jay tells the story. And again, you know, none of it's fact. You wouldn't have these issues. We wouldn't be trying to figure out why this difference was there if any of this was true, because the difference wouldn't be there if that was the case. So, you know, why is it changing? Because I think Jay just gives another version that he thinks will work, not knowing what Jen had told them. But then the second interview, the one you just heard, now the story changes to Best Buy. And I've discussed this a couple of episodes ago, that at that point, if they're going to make this work, if Jay and Jen are going to be their witnesses, their stories have to jive. And regardless of what was going on with Jen's attorney or what kind of weirdness was going on there, she is represented by an attorney, which means the police are not allowed to talk to her at all. They have to go through the attorney. They cannot go back to Jen to change the story. And so if they're going to change the story, they have to use Jay to change the story. And Jay has to tell a story that matches what Jen said, or this whole thing blows up. So that's kind of my theory on it, is Jay told some rambling version of a story. Jen related as best she knew how. She said Best Buy. Jay didn't know she said Best Buy. Then he gives his first interview. He tells a completely different story. And then the second interview that we just heard now was Richard McGillivray realizing, okay, we got a big fucking problem here. We can't go to trial and have Jen testify that the murder happened at Best Buy or and the Trunk Pop happened at Best Buy, and then have Jay testify that it happened on the other side of town in a strip. We have to reconcile this. That's why this interview. Is so anybody listening objectively can hear how obviously leading this entire interview is, and how what kind of nonsense this interview is. It's literally crafted to try to make Jay's story match both Jen's and the cell phone records, which of course we know it doesn't. But the reason it doesn't is because it's impossible to make. You know, I've, I've been saying this now for months since we've been doing the reply brief. Anybody that can give me an actual timeline. Based on the evidence, based on what Jay and Jen and the cell phone said, piece me together something that shows any of this is even possible, and I will put them on the show to do it, and no one can do it. All they they sit back and say, You're biased, you're lying, blah, 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 blah. But nobody can actually come in with any facts or receipts and say, Yeah, this is how it happened.
1: So fun side story, side note on Jay's recalling of the day that made me giggle a little bit, and I'm sure I'm not the only one. Jay smokes a lot of weed. Like a lot. (laughs) Like, like every time he doesn't know what he's doing, he's smoking and he, right. he's, yeah. he's 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 <laughs> right. smoking on the way to go smoke like
0: <laughs> right so many so, times. Somebody had made a post about that and I've never, never been a pot smoker. So I don't know how this worked, but yeah. somebody was like, clearly the detectives don't know how pot smoking worked because they, they went through like. So he smoked a blunt then he dropped that off and then he picked up a blunt and then he smoked another blunt and then he went to J- Jeff and Christie's and he smoked there and then yeah. he went and smoked somewhere else and then he picked so apparently that's not how pot smoking works yeah so that, i'm It's told. awful lot yeah <laughs>
1: Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Grayson says, "How How truthful do you think Jay is being in this interview? I know there are moments where the police are leading him in some of the questions. I think it could be a 50-50 chance that Jay is being truthful in his lie and his lies. I think Jay knows more than he's telling. One way or the other, he knows who did it. And it just goes along with the storyline. I'd like to hear your thoughts. Yeah, I
0: I mean, again, this is all up for... I'm not discounting what Grayson's saying there. I disagree. If Jay knew who did it, I think he just tells him who did it. Clearly, he has no problem being a snitch or whatever there's no way if he knew that he's not afraid. I don't think he's afraid of anybody. The profile to me doesn't match up with some random person that didn't have access to Hay somebody with a known relationship to her. I just don't see somebody that Jay would be afraid of just happening upon Hay and killing her that day. First of all, but then you know, when I hear that interview and I do the type of statement analysis, I do, I don't hear any truthfulness at all. I, I what I hear Is Somebody had said in the chat, what I was going to say is I hear somebody trying their damnedest to tell the detectives what they want to hear. The most truthful part of that interview, I'll tell you when Jay's being truthful, in my opinion, is when they start questioning him about why he didn't go to the police. And he says he's got a big rap sheet and he's been arrested and they say, well, you've only been arrested one time. That is the one moment in this whole thing, in my opinion, where we hear the real Jay. When he comes out, it's like one time, you know, his entire his demeanor changes, his voice changes, everything changes. And to me, you get the one taste of the real Jay when when he's like one time, one time only on the record. One time, I've been beat up, I've been knocked down, and he's he's almost emotional, saying, you know, got knocked down on my street. I'm am wearing a shirt that says Jay on it. While I'm walking into walking into my house, and they're throwing me down. You know, that's the only time that I hear him being. And if you listen to that moment, and then you listen to the rest of it. Somebody here in the chat had said it's like somebody rehearsing for a play and asking for lines. And I, and I very much agree with that. I mean, you, you, I don't hear truthfulness at all. I, I hear him even when, when Jim and Laura analyzed this interview a long time ago, eight years ago. They said the same thing. He He's unsure. Everything he says has a tone of uncertainty about it. So he's he's making a statement with a question mark at the end. You know, he's, he's always like, then we went to here. Oh, no. Oh, sorry. And then changes it to here, like that. To me, he is doing nothing more than trying to give them what they want to hear. In my opinion,
1: yeah. So Valeria actually wrote about that, about the whole one time on the record and, and what you made of this. So I'm glad you answered that. She also says, "Is it is it just something to say he was threatened often, or is it more that nothing ever came of it?" No,
0: so it was. uh I did see that question. I did, and I wanted to expand on that. So when Jay says that, he 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 explains what he means right afterwards. When he says one time on the record, because I think her question was, "Well, he says one time on the record, what does that mean?" Yeah, what he's explaining is what ha- you know from my experience when I was in Baltimore and I talked to some people that lived there. Unfortunately, the, the, there was like a common occurrence for a black teenager in Baltimore was that the cops would harass him, beat him up. And we had Michael A. Wood on back in season one. He was a f- former Baltimore cop. He used to talk about them doing this stuff. He's telling stories about how he got knocked down and beat up and you know why he was at his own house. And that, again, kind of circling back to what Grayson had said, had asked about as far as the, the truthfulness. So you got to reconcile those things. So that was a traumatic event when he got tackled and the shit beat out of him in front of his house. That was a traumatic event for Jay. And listen to his recall and how easily he can rip off details like the fact that his name was on his shirt, and he told him it was his house, and I was wearing my work shirt that had my name, Jay Wilds, on it, or whatever whatever he says. Yeah, that's what you should expect from a trunk pop. The, the day you help m- bury a body is that kind of fluid recall. But that's not what we get when he's trying to talk about this other dramatic experience.
1: So Sheila says top spots. To what is Jay referring to when he says this? Is it a bullet-pointed list? I'm not su- quite sure what he's saying. It's definitely multiple pauses at times.
0: My theory has always been, and I think, you know, and this is something Susan Simpson caught on and so I'm, I'm, I want to credit her for this work, but I agree with her, is that it, he's referring to a document called Jay's Chronology, which is a, a bullet-pointed list of all these events that is presented as though it was created based on this interview. Like they were writing it as he was saying stuff, but it very clearly, in my opinion, was created before the interview because like in the points like where he says top spots, you can look and see the top spot on the page is the thing that he missed there. So like if you follow along, you can see on several occasions where he gets out of order okay. and then when he, when he makes it, oh, sorry, I missed something. You hear that a couple of times too? He like read bullet point number 14 and then it goes, Oh, Oh, I missed something. And then he goes back and he reads bullet point number 12 and resets it a lot of times. So I believe that's what he's referring to. And, and yeah, it was such a strange
1: thing for him to say, to say
0: top spots, like out of nowhere, it doesn't make any sense. Right. Unless you see that document and you're following along with that document with the internet on our website. Uh, If you follow along that document with the internet and it's like handwritten, right? Too. So. The idea that Jay's chronology document that's handwritten supposed to be from him talking is all in perfect order when when he the way he said it was not in perfect order. And also what we learned in this interview is you can absolutely hear when they're writing and they most definitely did not write that whole document during this interview. You hear taps, you hear circling on a page, you do not hear constant scribbling and writing.
1: So I'll be honest, I did not. I mean, I was trying to tune in. I could not hear the circling. It doesn't mean it wasn't there. I was also listening in the car, but I tried to listen. I couldn't kind of pinpoint the spot you were talking about. So I, I'm interested to go back and try to really listen to that and focus on it to see if yeah, I you can should, pick that you up. You should
0: listen to it with your AirPods in. In our discussion on the Facebook page and also here in the YouTube chat before we went live, several people were talking about how they they clearly heard it too if you have the AirPods in. You hear it a lot, but the most obvious time was, again, it was around 19 minutes into the interview. I don't know where that falls in the episode, probably 25 minutes or so into the episode. But it's right before, there's a pause, right before he adds in the Nisha call. Yeah. And you, like, like he says something, there's a pause, and if you're listening with headphones on, you can hear clear. And, and somebody on the fan page had talked about how, essentially, I'm being silly by even considering that it's weird for someone to be taking notes during an interview, as though that's what was happening. And that's fine, they can have that opinion. But you can hear, this isn't like reading tea leaves. You can hear in that spot where he says something, there's a pause. During the pause, you very clearly hear a, it's not writing something. You're not hearing the pen or pencil come up and down off the page. To me, it sounds like they're circling something on the okay. page. And then Jay immediately comes back and adds in the adds the Nisha call into it. And there's several spots where it happens, but that was like the one that was like clearly very obvious.
1: I think I did hear that, and I think I picked it up as like a nasal clear. Like when somebody clears their sinuses
0: and they go like that. That's yeah. kind of the noise I heard. So, yeah.
1: but uh, listen to it with headphones
0: way. on sometime. And somebody also pointed this out too. And I, I heard that too, but I didn't want to, I didn't want to put too much in everybody's heads before they listen to it. I just wanted people listening for the pen sound. But another thing you can hear is, and somebody just mentioned in the YouTube chat here, you can hear them sliding paper across the table too on several occasions. Like very clearly you can hear like a paper slide. And, and again, that could be whatever. Maybe they're just sliding it out so we can write notes on it. Everybody's paper. All these things happen at very convenient times, right before Jay all of a sudden, after a long pause, has a sudden, his memory all of a sudden comes back to him when you hear the page slide over or a circling on the page or something like that.
1: I'll have to go back and listen with headphones for sure. All right. Carolyn says, Ritz says regarding Jay and Adnan dumping Hayes' belongings in the dumpster, and you thought the police would recover the property or someone would turn it over because of what reason? This is more of a statement, but it's a weird because Jay never mentioned that he thought someone would find her belongings in either interview. And last, but certainly not least, of course, there's a grassy knoll. There were magic shovels
0: and a path. And why wouldn't there be a grassy knoll? Right. And that's something that I, the grassy knoll thing, I didn't catch it when I was listening to it. And I've gone back since and, and, and started to compare it to the transcript because I never noticed that he actually said the car was on a grass, on the grassy knoll. Uh, yeah. and because of that, what several listeners uh, Richard was one list listener, several listeners caught. There are a lot of transcription errors where the transcript says he's saying one thing. And then when you hear the audio, he's saying something different. That was one of those instances. As far as the, you know, Jay never saying anything about the tools or shell or people finding things. That's what we hear through the whole interview, right? Is, you know, for example, what'd you do next? Then, oh, I took Adnan back to school. Uh, was it to see a person? Uh, yeah. His co-students. Uh, was it for an event, uh, uh, track practice. And then Ritz just says he wanted you to create an alibi, right? So like, it's the same thing with the shovel. Jay never said, I put him, I was worried about people finding the shovels. I think Ritz or McGillivary wanted Jay to say that, but it, it happens multiple times through this interview where they try a couple of times, they give a couple of prompts. And when he doesn't say the thing they want him to say, they just say it. Not, and they, usually, it's McGillivary, McGillivary just says it and says, right, you know, He needed to create an alibi, right? Yeah. And gets Jay to go along with him. Yeah.
1: So his next question is from Sarah. Jay says Adnan either called his mother or she called him either way. Wasn't Adnan's mother unaware he had a cell phone.
0: Yeah. Another great catch. Something I didn't even think about when people were, uh, our listeners were, were hearing this for the first time was, yeah. Jay says Adnan's mom called him on the cell phone that Adnan's mom didn't know he had. And he tried. He made sure. He made so sure that she didn't have it that that he bought it and had it put on Bilal's account. But then his mom's calling on him the the very next day. Yeah, that's a good catch.
1: Rock says Jay was worried that Best Buy parking lot had cameras that might have caught him on video when Adnan did the trunk pop. Did police even
0: bother to go to Best Buy to see if the parking lot had cameras? Said it before. I'll say it again. Any opportunity they had to verify anything Jade said, they didn't do. In that regard, that's another point in this whole thing. like When I say this whole interview is nonsense, it it doesn't make any sense. The trunk pop happened on this side of town, and now it happened on the complete other side of town in a completely different place. Well, why did you change it, Jay? Because I was worried that they had cameras there, and I didn't want to get wrapped up in it or involved in it. What? So follow this train of logic if you can. Jay told the police while he was telling the police that he was involved in this. He told them it happened somewhere other than Best Buy because he was afraid the police would look (laughs) at the cameras at Best Buy and find out he was there and involved while he's telling them that he's involved. If they're, I mean, again, the whole thing's like this, but again, like it's complete bullshit. What? There is no excuse for that. There is no train of what that is just him. Just just talking out of his ass, trying to come up with some kind. and And that very well may have been something like, well, maybe because of the you know, like before they recorded, they may have told him something about the security cameras and that's why he changed the location. But whatever they told, either they're idiots or he mixed it up because it made zero sense.
1: Yeah, that makes zero sense. (laughs) Oh, goodness. Marlena says, what is the utility of the point about vomiting? The police bring it up so it feels like they're trying to tie it to the evidence or something. Is there any evidence
0: to link to that? I think they're just trying to confirm some of his first story. The first time that Jay's interviewed, they give him a little bit of space to talk, right? Tell us the story. And that's why I'm like, well, maybe they they at least thought maybe he knows something. They believed him or wanted to believe him because they let him talk. And so in that interview, Jay gets the space to try to add more details, to say things that he thinks makes it sound more realistic, right? So he says that he's vomiting. He says, oh, they could see because there's snow on the ground. I can count change in my hand. and da, da, da. You know, These are things that are wrong. There wasn't any snow on the ground. But Jay is, in that first interview, you're hearing Jay try to create a story that he thinks would make sense. As you got all these elements that are shit you would see on TV because that's probably where he got the ideas, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but now in the second interview, when he's going through, they're trying to add in the new elements that they need while still trying to connect it to the first interview. To me, that's because he made such a big deal about him vomiting the first time. Now they want to know, okay, well, last time you said he vomited. Where did he vomit? Like, we need to add this into the story. So that it seems like they jive more. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Real quick. So Sarah in the YouTube chat says Adnan pukes like 15 times for someone who was bragging about being so badass for killing someone. Yeah, there's that. And also, but he's laughing about how heavy she is right before and after he pukes. But on that point, also notice what Jay says when he, you know he's wearing the red gloves and that's why there's no fingerprints. And then what does Jay say that Adnan says? That Adnan was bragging because he killed her with his bare hands. Bare hands. Yeah. But he just said that he was wearing gloves. Anyway.
1: All right. Keith and Sarah both asked this. Has it ever been pointed out that Jay claims on January 12th, they were shopping at the mall. Adnan buys maybe some lunch, like a soda and a bite to eat. But that was it. It was Ramadan. Adnan was fasting. It's highly unlikely that he would nonchalantly eat some snacks
0: in public. It's another interesting catch. And it's the other the, the guilty side will say it doesn't matter it's just detailed blah, blah. but all the details matter that's why they're asking him for details. yeah so he's fasting but Jay says that he eats in the middle of the day now you might just say well he's just a bad Muslim and he's, and he's not fasting properly but then you also have to remember what did Jay say in the first interview when they got the call Jay said offered up on his own so this is, this was not something fed to him by the police he just offers up to it on his own that after track practice, they went to McDonald's where Adnan was eating because he would break his fast at that mm-hmm. point. So what that tells me is Jay knows that Adnan fasts during Ramadan. And a lot of these lies, right, there's some truth. Like I think he's probably drawing on a real experience when him and Adnan did go to McDonald's after track practice and Adnan broke his fast. Maybe even that day. That may have been what they did that day. They just weren't killing somebody that day. But when you, when you couple those things together, so Adnan clearly... In my opinion, did hold to his fasting ritual, the 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 part of his his faith during Ramadan, because Jay knew that Jay knew that after he picked him up, he would take him somewhere to eat because he was fasting. So that tells me that it is extremely unlikely that Adnan would have just ate lunch at the mall the day before, but then the next day he's waiting till after school and and sticking with his with you know his religious beliefs and waiting to eat until after sundown. Yeah, that that is a good catch. Sarah
1: says. So they drove in two cars to Lincoln Park, take the body out of Hayes' trunk, and then move her car, which means using both cars, leaving her body next to the road,
0: unattended while they
1: move the cars, and then come back to start digging?
0: I hear the both confusion and sarcasm in your question, Sarah. You know what? That's why I said in the intro, see if you can make heads or tails of that burial. I literally was writing it down. I stopped and wrote down, read the transcript, tried to come up with and in those 5 minutes or so that he's describing the burial what happened changes like 6 times the orders off not like where the car is versus his car's up forward then no adnan's car's forward and then they they pulled over and they had to pull into this parking spot because the other spark- parking spots were all buried up again jays thinking that it was there was snow on the ground i assume what he meant by that was like snow piles also there's not parking spots really there there's just like a little area you can pull off where there's some jersey barriers. There's not like a bunch of parking lots along that Franklin Town Road. So like that doesn't even exist. Another indication he's never been there. And Grayson can correct me in the chat if I'm wrong about that. He's from the area. But when I went there, I don't rec- I remember thinking I drove it to see like why would they pick that spot? Why would they pick that spot? And so the person I was driving with, I told him, "Don't tell me where it's at. I want to see if I'm coming from this way or this way where I would pick if I was like trying to find the first available place." And when I came from not the way Jay says they came from, but when you come from the other way, like if you if the murder happened up, I don't know, a hotel up by Woodlawn or something, and they were coming from that direction, we're pulling through, winding through, and then it's like, oh, right there. That's the only place you could pull over, and that was that happened to be exactly where it was at. But yeah, the burial story, he dropped Adnan off, and then he drove further ahead. I think in the first one, in the first version, like Jay drives further ahead, and then Adnan is gone for like a half hour because he drags Hay's body into the woods. And then he comes back, and then he says he walked. Remember in that first interview, he walked all the way up to uh-huh. to my car, and then we argued, and then I go back to help bury the body, but I didn't help bury the body. We walked through a path that wasn't a path. And then this one, they're parked both on the side of the road, and then they drove Hayes' car up further, and then they parked Hayes' car in a parking lot or a parking spot. Like it just, I honestly, I can't answer the question as far as what any of that, because none of it, like there is no coherent story there the way I hear it, unless I'm just too dumb to, to decipher it. I can't make heads or tails of what he's saying even happened there.
1: No, it's super confusing. There is a lot of back and forth. I, I don't get it either.
0: Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line
1: at the deli, I guess? I in my dentist's office. Aaron says, at what point, either
0: before or after the second interview, did law enforcement actually charge Jay with the crime? Jay wasn't charged. He was charged with accessory after the fact, but he wasn't charged until, I want to say September. Long time. And that was that was a big, they talked a lot about this on Undisclosed from like the legal angle of it. So like in Maryland, he's not entitled to a an appointed attorney unless he's been charged with a crime, I guess. Like it was intentional, like the entire time. All through, you know, all these interviews, the ride along that they did, which was kind of Jay's third official interview, all the trial leading all the way up to trial. They never charged Jay through that whole time. And the theory there is that they didn't charge him because as soon as he was charged, he could get a lawyer and then they couldn't manipulate him anymore. And then eventually what happens instead of him just getting charged and getting appointed an attorney, Yurik, the prosecutor, gets his friend, Anna Benaroya, to just represent him pro bono. And then they work out the deal with them. And when they did attempt
1: to charge him, what was he charged with
0: technically? Accessory after the fact.
1: Okay. Sarah says, Jay mentions how hard it is to find the parking area where they left her car. But didn't he say before that he drove by it on his commute
0: and saw it? Yeah. I don't want to keep repeating myself. But yeah, none of the story makes sense. Like, <laughs> it's exactly. Yeah. It is just another one of those things that makes absolutely no sense. This next one's from Jonathan. Jonathan says, "I'm going to stop you real quick. I, I don't mean to interrupt you, but uh, Grayson did respond to what I had said earlier in the chat, and he says it sounds like exactly what what, what I experienced. Franklintown Road, which is the road through Lincoln Park where Hay was was buried, he said Franklintown Road is a hard place to pull off and park. I think they were looking for a place that nobody would look. That's whoever did it. Yeah, I agree. And if I, I don't know Grayson, if you have been through there like, to go to the burial site? But yeah, from my memory." There's literally that one place, and it's not like a parking spot. It's just that one place where you can actually get off the road a little bit and pull a car over. Because that's not, as, I, as I've as i said many times, Leakin Park, I assume somewhere around the other side, around the north side of the park, there's actually parking spots and probably picnic tables and all kinds of stuff like that. Where Hay was buried was not that. It was just a road that went through the woods. That wasn't the place that people, I don't think, but went parked. And according to what Grayson's saying, that sounds to be accurate. So this is another, when you when you take Jay's description of all the other parking areas were buried up and that was the only parking space left. Like, that's, that's just not what that road looks like at all. All right, back to my question. <laughs> Jonathan says,
1: according to Jay, Adnan was going to tell Hay that his car was broken down and so he needed a ride. Yet he drove to school that day in his car and was dropped off later by Jay in his car. This means the broken down car arrived and left school twice that day before he would have had to get in hay's car do you think that this would have been an unnecessary risk considering that hay and her group of friends or teacher could have recognized
0: this car leaving like i said the story doesn't make sense and i point this maybe in a, i may have already done it from what you've heard in the reply brief or it may come, be coming in one of the final episodes but yeah th- this entire theory is is dumb That they have. Right. So they're basing it on on the fact that Krista said she overheard him asking, hey, for a ride. That's it. Doesn't know why. Doesn't know what it was for. In the police reports, it says that she said that that he was he was asking her for the ride and told her that her car was broken down or with his brother. She has since many times constantly come out and said that's not what she said. She doesn't know that she heard him ask for a ride. She assumed that it must be that his car was broken down or something. Because Krista is not at the, she leaves school at noon. So she's never there in the afternoon. She doesn't know what we learned from all the other friends that Adnan gets a ride from Hay after school almost every day when he has his car there. So thing one, according to all the witnesses, he would not have to tell her his car was broke down to get a ride from her. He got a ride from her all the time when he had his car. So that's thing one. Thing two, if that was the plan, just like this listener said, if his plan was to convince her he didn't have a car, in that he needed her to give him a ride that he wouldn't have brought his car to school. The student parking lot is all in one spot the, you know, for him to be like, this is gonna be my plan. I'm going to kill her today. I'm going to tell her my car's broke down. And then he pulls into school in his car, which, I mean, hey, could have been standing in the parking lot when he did it. And then he leaves mm-hmm. and then he comes back and there's all these. Like, that makes absolutely no sense at all. That, that was the plan. And then and let's, let's not forget about the fact that his whole like, thing about him saying he needed a ride needed a ride to where? When this theory was created and developed by the officers, I don't think they originally considered the fact or knew the fact that he had. We, we know that there was track practice that day. So where did he need a ride to? The next place he had to be was at the school. Yeah. So, so, so how would he make if it was I have to convince her that I don't have my car because it's in the shop or it's broken down. And therefore, I need a ride, need a ride to where this is not an emergency. You're at school and the next place you have to be is at school. If you try to apply any kind of logic to any of this, it all completely falls apart. Yeah, but why would you do that? Right. A logic? Silly. <laughs> Tia asks,
1: I'm curious to know how Adnan called Jay to pick him up while Jay was at Christy and Jeff's. Jay told the police that Adnan has the phone at this time, and I believe Christy was a friend of Jen and
0: didn't know Adnan, so there's no way he would have had Christie's number. Ah, another good catch. All these little details that if you, if you listen closely, you hear that, yeah, they, they say they specifically ask. First of all, he's, he, they go through the whole thing. You're taking him to track practice because he needs to be seen, needs to create an alibi at track practice. And what we discovered or, or occurred to me when I was going through this the second time around, they very clearly say that he dropped him off at the front of the school in the front circle when track that day was very clearly a quarter mile away on the back of the school all the way down at the track outside that day. So let's just ignore that problem to begin with. But and then they also say, now who's got the phone at this point? And Jay says, Adnan has the phone. I left him the phone. The thing is, I think Jay in his mind is still trying to create something that makes sense, right? Something that that's logical. Yeah. Because he knows that Adnan has to call him to tell him to pick him up from track. So I think Jay's thinking, I left him the phone because he's got to call me and he's got to call me from something. So he'll have to call me from his phone. But then he says he calls him while he's at. So now he doesn't have the phone, but Adnan calls him. Clearly, Adnan doesn't. He's never met. Christy didn't even know his name. He's never met Christy. In his whole life, but Adnan now calls him at Christie's. But Adnan, according to Jay, is the one with the phone. Jay doesn't have the phone, so he would have to call Christie and Jeff's landline in order to make that happen. Also, not for nothing, we know for a fact he wasn't at Christie's house at that time because that was the one where they mislabeled the cell tower. You know, and again, track the mistake. You want to know if this is a coerced confession? If it was led by the police? Well, when the police make the mistake and put a cell tower at the wrong spot, and then the witness's story miraculously changes to match that spot, but then we later learn that it wasn't that spot and the phone couldn't have been there, that's not the witness's fault. That means that information about him going there, without question, came from the detectives.
1: There's a couple times where he talks about Adnan, like I I want to say when he's at Jen and Mark's house, that Adnan calls their hard line too when Jay has the cell phone.
0: I mean, there's some confusing things like that that baffle me too. Oh yeah, there's no there's no questions about it, but we've talked about it ad nauseum. The entire call the come get me call makes notes. Yeah. I'm at he he calls at Jen's house. He gave me the phone so that he could call me to come get me, but then he calls me three times. One time was to see if the phone was on, and then another time to so I could tell him I was at Jen's, and then we left Jen's, but then he called me on Jen's landline and that's where the call came in, but I wasn't there when the call came in, but so he called like (laughs) it's it's about like the burial. And, yeah. and Hope hope in the chat just mentioned, too, it's another uh, another good point, too. I mean, it's just, just worth noting. But that Jay is aware that you can drop people off the back of class because earlier in the day when he and Adnan went out shopping during the day, mm-hmm. he specifically says when he dropped Adnan off back at school, he dropped him off at the back of the school. And again, those are those instances where I think Jay is is recalling true events because they, it makes sense. It flows. There's There's no stumbling and stammering through it. Because Adnan did leave that day, he did go shopping with Jay, and Jay did take him back and drop him off at school, and that—that's a thing that really happened that day. So he's very really, yeah, I dropped him off at the back. He went in the back door, but then when it comes to dropping him back off at track practice, it just—I don't know where you want me to say front, yeah, front, sure, it was the front. Where the circle? Yep, front circle. That's why he did it. You know, then everything because that's not an event that happened in that way. In, in probably other days, he certainly dropped Adnan off there because it was indoor track and they ran inside.
1: So I wish I'd have read this last question before I made my last comment. So our last question is from Janaea, and she says, "So Adnan calls Jay at Jen's house on the landline, even though Jay had his cell phone for the sole purpose of being able to contact him." Feels pretty obvious. This point had been added to the, into the second interview because there was no three forty incoming call on the cell phone log.
0: Yeah, one hundred percent. Like like we just said, and and again, like there's the problems with it, how it doesn't make sense. But more to the point, if you take a step back, the state's entire theory of this case is that Adnan got that cell phone for the sole intent and purpose of murdering Hay. That's why he got it. That's why he gave it to Jay. But then he called the landline at Jen's from a payphone three times. Right before we came on, somebody had made another comment that I grabbed real quick so we can share this last one before we wrap it up. Michael on the fan page said, probably too late. You're not, Michael. I caught it right before we stepped in. But what does Jay mean by parking spots on the side of the road? Nope. Oh, turns out Michael already answered that too, and that was the only one uh, that was open. The rest had been buried up. Just kidding, Michael. Sorry about that. Already, well, not sorry. I answered your question already. There aren't parking spots on the side of the road, and there certainly wasn't anything buried. I took "buried up" to mean snow, like snow plow had plowed in the snow. But as I had from my memory and confirmed by Grayson, there aren't parking spots on the side of that road. So uh, none of that's true. And with that said, Zach, wait, you look like you had something.
1: Nope, I was just about to say, I think that's all the questions we have for this week. So what is coming up this this coming week for us?
0: We're getting back into the Reply Brief series, why I pieced together the comparison interview, which I'll probably put out at the end of the series. Again, depending where we're at with the new case, either as a bonus or another episode, why we've finished building out the first couple of episodes of season 15. So this one is part 11 of the prosecutors of the Reply Brief series. And to be honest with you, I don't remember what part 11 is about. So it'll be a surprise for everybody. Uh, Excellent. (laughs) uh, Excellent. And if you had not asked me that, I was just going to say we did pretty damn good without Janet. We got through this. nice, Smooth, no hiccups. But we do miss you, Janet, if you're listening to this. And I know you'll listen to this because I'm sure you missed the sound of my voice. So here's your chance, Janet, to hear it. And uh, I suppose you like Zach's voice, too. Everyone say hi, Zach. Hi, Zach. Now say bye, Zach. Bye, Zach. Bye, everybody. Bye, guys. Truth and Justice is an NBI Studios production. All music for the show is created and composed by Shane Yoder at PutThemInASong.com. The font you see on all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com Design Created manages and maintains our website, Truth and Justice Pod, where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. Thank you to our volunteer transcription team, Pamela Westby, Kathy McAlaney, Courtney Wimberly, Erica Cantor, Melissa Cardenas, Kay Wood and Danielle Rohr. And as always, thank you to all of you for your engagement and your support. If you like the show and you want to support us, you can do that in a number of ways. The number one way for you to support our work is to become a patron at patreon.com slash truth and justice. If you join our Patreon, not only will you be financially supporting our work, but you'll also get something for your pledge. For just $5 per month, you'll get all episodes ad-free and also a video version of the Friday follow-ups that include an hour-long pre-show chat exclusive to our patrons. Other levels will get you a Truth and Justice Army t-shirt, Truth and Justice hats, and even the opportunity to co-host a Friday follow-up episode. Just go to patreon.com truthandjustice to sign up. You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. It doesn't cost you a penny, and it goes a long way towards making the show more visible. If you have a case that you'd like us to consider covering, you can submit your cases on our website, truthandjusticepod.com. Just click on the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is engage in our investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com can like our facebook page follow us on instagram or join in on the conversation on the truth and justice podcast fans page for all of you tweeters out there you can connect with us on twitter at truth justice pod to follow our personal accounts on social media i can be found at bob ruff truth janet can be found at janet varney and zach is at z to the q however you do it stay engaged stay in touch but as for now we're signing off i'm bob ruff i'm zach weaver
1: and i'm janet varney
0: This has been Truth and Justice.